On this 13th episode of Task Force X, we look at Suicide Squad number 5, plus have a character profile of Kronos. Stay tuned, kids. Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. A proud member of the Headcast family, I am your host, Aaron Moss, otherwise known as Head. The Task Force X Headcast follows the adventures of DC Comics Task Force X. Task Force X was made up of the Suicide Squad comic, which was created by John Ostender and Ryan Scott, which started in the late 1980s, and the sister comic, Checkmate, created by Paul Kupperberg and Steve Irwin. These were two sides of DC's espionage comics. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team, made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Exactly. I will attempt to chronicle each title and all the books that the Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during this era. We're the U.S. government. Who's going to blow the whistle on us? The convicts? Who'd believe them? You? <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, yeah, Amanda. A blog and a headcast. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. No, not at all, Amanda. I'm just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Punk. All right, Amanda. Bang. We'll return after these messages. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. This is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra- Of how they spoke at length. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember... We're not experts. We're just family. And welcome back. Uh, Today we're going to talk about Suicide Squad, issue number five. 
The title of the story is called The Flight of the Firebird. Cover date was September of 1987, but once again, if you have access to a time travel machine or some other way to get back in time, if you actually buy this bad boy off the stand, you'd have to go back to June the 23rd of 1987. And when you go back, have 75 cents with you. That's right, three quarters for this fantastic story. Uh, the editor was Robert Greenberger, and it was a 22-page story. Per normal, it was written by the great John Ossender, penciled by the fabulous Luke McDonald, and then inked by Robert Lewis. Letter is Todd McClain. He is an Irish? I don't think. I don't know. Anyways, the letter was Todd Klein. The colorist is Carl Gafford. In this story, uh, like the rest of the series so far, was reprinted in Suicide Squad, Trial by Fire trade paperback, which came out in 2011. And the synopsis for this bad boy. Uh, the Soviet government is divided over the fate of political prisoner Zoya Trigorini. Uh, while some want to ex execute her, Gorbachev agrees to use her in trade with the West. Zastro is tasked with the responsibility of the exchange. Zastro, uh, if you're not familiar, we'll go back and listen to uh, my last episode with the irredeemable Shag. Um, we talked about him a little bit. He showed up in Firestorm issue 64 and the fifth annual that the Suicide Squad appeared in. Uh, anyways, back to our story. The Suicide Squad is given a mission to break Trigoni out of the Soviet prison. Rick Flagg leads a team including Nightshade, Deadshot, and Enchantress into Russia. The Penguin, who planned the escape, also joins them. With the help of Nemesis, who has already infiltrated the prison, the squad is able to reach Trigoni. I think I'm probably pronouncing that different every time. Anyways, they discover that she does not want to go with them because her imprisonment helps her political cause. While debating the issue, the Suicide Squad is uncovered and the alarm is sounded. Dun dun dun. To be continued. Um, again, this synopsis and the information I got as far as who created the issue was once again, as usual, uh, pulled from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. I've got links to my site for him. Check them out. Uh, Mike does a great job of cataloging all these comics and storylines and artists and all that good stuff. But anyways, that's enough about uh, the synopsis. Let's go into my thoughts on the issue. Let's start off the cover because there's well, there's no better place to start off the cover. Uh, the cover shows a Russian sky, uh, Russian base of some sort. We see two Russian guys up front and close. On the wall behind them, we see Flag, Bronze Tiger, Enchantress, Deadshot, and Penguin looking down at them. Top left-hand side says Mission to Moscow. It's a great cover, uh, like most of the uh, Suicide Squad covers. Um, not much to say, but I really enjoyed this cover. It lets you know what the story's going to be about, who's the main characters in it. It gives you all the, the pertinent information at a glance. It's a very nice cover. Uh, going on to the first page, I like this way this first page is laid out. It looks like an old-school movie poster. The very top it says the title of the story, The Flight of the Firebird. Uh, we see Zastrow and uh, Rick Flag along the top. Uh, below at the bottom, we see, like, you know, guest starring the Penguin, Nightshade, Deadshot, and the Chantress. It's a very nice page. Again, nothing towards the story, uh, but it gives us just the title. That's just, you know, it gives us all the information without interrupting the actual story. I like this uh, cover. And again, I'm one of these that likes when they use realistic figures in the stories, it kind of sp uh, sets it in a period. Because, I mean, it's got Gorbachev. So it lets you know when the story's taking place in reality. So when you're looking back, it kind of dates it a little bit. But 
it dates it. It gives it, it gives it a time to be in, which I like. And again, all these Russians sitting around. We have Zastra, who again we talked about last episode. Uh, he showed up. Uh, he was Pozar's handler that fought Firestorm, if you remember right. Or even if you don't, still. Anyway, first couple pages, them talking, a little talk, talk, yap, yap. Uh, again, fantastic artwork. Uh, I like Zastra here. Like, what about a trade? We offer Trigon, Trigorny, whatever, to the West in exchange for some prestigious political prisoner of the West. Because they're trying to get, because what it is, is uh, this chick they're holding, Zoya Trigani, has written a book denouncing and saying what a wicked place Russia is. And they're, again, horrible place Russia is at the time. They don't like anyone that bad talks them or, you know, tells the truth. So, there was, some of them want to keep her locked up for life. Gorbachev wants to set her free. He feel, Gorbachev feels that keeping her locked up gives attention to her and her, her plights. So they're basically trying to decide the best way to get rid of her without Russia losing face. And back with uh, Belrev Prison, Louisiana. Louisiana? Louisiana. We have Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin, sitting around a flag in the Waller, uh, talking. And I like this. Uh, flag's like, you think this will work, Cobblepot? And he's like, rock, I prefer my nom de crime. Nom de crime? The Penguin, if you please. Well, I was like, you're the, penguin. you're the penguin on your time. This is mine, and you're Cobblepot. Well, and there's a little footnote here. Again, a rarity these days and age. It says he was last seen in Batman Annual Number 11. He's being, he was freed for this mission. So the penguin sets up the little mission. I like that. Uh, he is a criminal mastermind. Uh, he's just not smart to take out the Batman. But, you know, because it's the GD Batman. Anyways. Uh, so they're sitting there talking, planning everything, and, and uh, the penguin's... Basically giving us, the readers, the background what's going on. He says, our dear government, out of the goodness of its heart, because it would make dandy propaganda, I want you to steal a political prisoner from the USSR. And Waller's like, if I wanted commentary, if I'd want a commentary, I'd get George Will. How sure you this plan's going to get that girl out? And he's like, well, out of the hospital, no problem. It's the getaway's the problem. And I like this where uh, Rick says that he wants the penguin to come along with them. Because uh, he trusts the plan better when the the creator of the plan is there with him. I like that. It's, it shows why Rick's the brains of the outfit and why he's... Uh, yeah, Grayson likes it too. Again, yes, my uh, six-month-old son, he enjoyed that episode. That issue also, that part of the issue. But that's enough, Grayson. Uh, and then again, the bottom part of this page. Again, it, it shows what I really like about Ostrander's work. Um, we've got the Enchantress on the team, as we've seen before. And Rick's talking with Amanda and telling her that, you know, uh, she's getting a lot darker, less controllable. Once in what happens, she goes berserk while they're in Russia. Uh, again, John takes, uh, well, I, in my opinion, an older story, a story by a less talented writer. They probably wouldn't maybe foreshadow this as much, or maybe they wouldn't play it up as much. But John's letting you know that these are real people, they've got real feelings. John, or John, Rick Flag's thinking about these issues. Uh, and again, the next page has June Moon talking to the psychiatrist, and they're kind of recounting things that's gone on, who the Enchantress is, that she used to be a villain, that she, well, I guess she is a villain, uh, that she used to work with a group called the uh, Forgotten Villains. And again, it shows that these are more than just two-dimensional characters. These are more just, you know, 
Bwahaha. Let's take over the world villains. These people actually have history. They actually have... Uh, you actually care about them. They actually have conflicts, even emotional and mental, you know. Not all villains are Lex Luthor, I want to take over the world villains. Some are, you know, pushed into villainy, uh, forced into it kind of like June here is. And I hope they kind of play this up in the Suicide Squad movie to actually show some of this, but we'll have to wait and see. And again, the artwork here on this next page, uh, looks like it's page 7, the top of it. June, while she's still June, you can see the enchantress coming through. Her face changes, starts to change. And she's like, should I tell you what she like to do, Doc? She's talking about how, you know, she June's, it's hard for June to keep the enchantress tra trapped in her. She's like, should I tell you what she like to do with you, Doc? Chow off your clothes, rip over your body with her, with my teeth, pull your intestines between my... And it's all just one big run-on sentence. You can see the mania in her voice, if you will. And I like here where uh, Dr. Uh, Simon LaGrieve, you know, after June breaks down and starts crying, that you know, Enchantress is trying to break out, he comforts her, and we see a close-up of June's face. And she's got an evil look on her face. I mean, normally June Moon's a beautiful woman, uh, as my buddy, the irredeemable shag, would say. She's hot. But this last panel here, she's got like a look of pure evil on her face. Her eyes have kind of a red tint. I don't know if that's the a coloring error or if that's a hint that, you know, besides the look on her face, that's another hint that is not all is right in the world. But yeah, I really like this page seven. It's very nicely done. And the next page deals with uh, Boomerang talking with Floyd, uh, a.k.a. Deadshot. And we find a little more about Deadshot and Boomerang, that they're two completely different people. I mean, Boomerang's talking about how he likes having a place outside of uh, the prison to live. He's, uh, where's the line here? There's a line here that says, uh, you're the only one that lives in the hole, Deadshot, my lad. Even Big Mama Walla goes home at night. Yes, that's my junky, uh, crappy uh, Australian accent. Sorry to all Australian listeners out there. And Floyd's like, a bed's a bed. You don't see a difference between one there and one here. And his boomerang looks out the window of some uh, chicks across the street. He's like, it's the view, mate. Have a decal. And this here's a little subplot that they're talking about, uh, Deadshot's telling him, you know, we'll enjoy the view while you got it. Uh, you jaywalk and they'll pull it off from underneath you and put you back in the prison. And the top of the next page, uh, Boomerang's thinking, he's like, Lawton's right on one score. I try to think creative and I'll get bunged good. And here, I was just getting itchy. Still, no one said Captain Boomerang has to be the artist now, did they? Uh, pay attention and, and keep in mind that thought, that little sequence there Boomerang had with himself. It'll come back later on in the series to uh, have for two. Uh, it'll come back up. I'll make a call back later on. And then the next couple pages, I like it, setting up the mission, Mission Impossible style, or maybe the Dirty Dozen, the more appropriate style. Uh, people's getting into places. Uh, again, not much to really say about the next page or two. It's, uh, again, good artwork. You know who everyone is. Uh, I like this here on page uh, 10. People are getting in place, and apparently Cobblepot's the uh, the cook. He's, he's in place as the cook. 
or the chef, and he I like this. He's getting all upset that the uh, how's he say this? Why they're uh, asking Cobblepot if everything's in place, and he's like, "Wow, hardly." This pompous poltroon passes himself off as a diplomat, constantly insulting my cooking, but I fixed him. I scorched his kippers. Wah wah wah. Because this was back in the the penguin wah 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 bird days. Not quite the the businessman he is today, which he ha has a lot less of the wah 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 penguin stuff that you would see, like they did back with the uh, uh, Burgers Burgers Penguin back in the uh, '60s Batman. But yeah, I really like the way this scene's laid out and the way this little mission's undergoing here. And honestly, there's not really a lot I can say about the next couple pages other than waxing about the artwork like I normally do. Uh, I mean, the artwork's the same as usual. It's good artwork, especially for this title. The mission's undergoing its way. Uh, page 15. A couple panels I really like on here. The second panel, we see the team in the woods. It, uh, it's a very basic scene. We see the gang out in the woods uh, behind some trees, snow on the ground. It's basically a black and white panel. But I like the way it's laid out. It's very good. It's just, I, don't, I like this panel. And then the last couple panels here, when June Moon's calling on Enchantress, uh, we see a close-up of her face. It looks like she's in pain. She's going, Enchantress! And then the last panel here, we just see uh, a yellow silhouette surrounded by like a, a, riot, a red... Riot? A red burst of energy just crackling. And then the next page, the top of page, uh, I think it's 16. Enchantress sitting there. I like the way she's sitting there. Ha 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 My, how good to see you all again. She's got her little green witch's hat on. And energy cracking. There's no background to this. It's her sitting there, kind of her arms out. And her legs float, like she's floating there almost. Energy crackling around her. It's just very well drawn in my opinion. And again, I like this. They're uh, referring back to the uh, Forgotten Hero days. And there's a footnote here. See, uh, detect DC Comics presents, what is that, 77 and 78? Again, footnotes you don't get a lot of nowadays in comics. Again, I like these footnotes. Uh, it lets you, you know, when it's not written for the trade... They refer back to these old stories. Uh, but I'm not going to get the whole written for trade things on this part. Uh, you can check out an upcoming episode of Head Speaks where I'll, I'll gripe about that, I'm sure. Uh, but she's basically telling Flag that she remembers back, you know, when they fought once against each other once before. And she's like, if you don't play my game, Flag, I won't play yours. And then we see Rick Flag just turning on, like, get this straight. I'm not your friend. I'm not your social worker. And I don't have to be nice. You'll get nightshade to the hospital with you so she can get the real Zoya Trigoni out. Understand? Hell may not be frozen over, but Rush is. Move out. I like that little scene there. It's very nice. And then Enchantress picks up Nightshade and they fly away. And then like here at the top of page 21 where uh, Enchantress is disguising herself as uh, see I'm not reading her name so I'm going to mess it up. Zoya Trigoni. Okay, I'm still looking at I'm still messing it up. Uh, anyways, Enchantress disguised herself as a prisoner. And I guess it's uh, four panels here where, you know, it starts out as uh, Enchantress and it starts going red. 
reddish pink, whatever, and a little bit lighter. And then by the end of the fourth panel, you've got uh, the prisoner looking at herself. Again, to me, in a more mainstream comic, like Superman or uh, Batman or something, well, maybe Batman would work. Like in a mainstream comic like Superman or something or Firestorm, this artwork, I don't think it would work as nicely. But in Suicide Squad, this grittier, more uh, real-life, if you will, more prison-esque comic, uh, I really love this artwork. And then I like this uh, this little turn here that the squad thinks they're rescuing her from the prison. And they That she wants out, and she's like, no, I don't want to escape. Like, but in the West, you have the freedom to write as you wished. And she's like, by staying here, I forced the world's attention on what the social government is Soviet government is doing to freedom. What did my father? I am free, and they forget too soon. No, I will not go. And like this, uh, like was a flag. It's like, didn't anyone think to ask someone if she wanted to be rescued before they sent us over here? Or no, I guess I, I guess that's uh, Nightshade that's saying that. So in the cloak, she looks like a man. Sorry, uh, but that's the intention. So very good. And as they're deciding what to do, whether they kidnap her and force her to go or leave her, uh, one of the other doctors breaks in, and he's like, Comrade Doctor, you finished with it? Bojimon, whatever. So I think it's the same thing that uh, uh, Cyclops, not Cyclops, Colossus used to yell in uh, X-Men all the time. He's like, guards, guards! Next, it all gets messy when everything hits the fan. And again, another great, fantastic issue of the Suicide Squad. Um... Honestly, there's not much really to sit much more to say on this. Uh, in the neck, in the uh, suicide notes uh, letter column here, down the coming attractions, they uh, talk about the next issue of this. Uh, they pimp out the Who's Who update 87 because they reveal blueprints to Bell Rev in uh, num in number one, and they're going to bring the Jihad. The lowdown on the Jihad says next month, which I'm assuming is issue maybe issue three. Because number one was last month, and the Jihad's next month. So I'm assuming it's issue three. But you know what? We'll find out soon. Because over on a, uh, a buddy of the show, The Irredeemable Shag, he's got a podcast devoted to the Who's Who, and they're currently working on the uh, Update 87. They just released issue one. Uh, issue two should be out soon. So we'll find out soon. So again, not to pimp someone else's show, but I'm going to pimp someone else's show. Check out Shag and Rob's Who's Who in the DCU uh, podcast. Again, they're on the update 87. It's a great podcast. But like I say, the first episode, they talk about Bell River Prison. And either episode two or issue two or issue three, I'm not sure which, they're going to give a rundown on the Jihad. And also, we're talking about the next issue box down here. They also talk about John Ostinger's revamping of Firestorm, which we covered Last episode, that uh, was a part of it. In fact, here it talks about, uh, yeah, see, this is issue five, and this is now saying, well, good, otherwise you'll miss the special selection of Suicide Squad members as the government sends them after the nuclear man. It begins in Firestorm 63 and concludes in the annual in a few more weeks. Though I believe that's wrong. I believe it was actually issue 64. Uh, that was written by Bob Greenberger. Uh, I'm pretty sure 64 was the uh, issue I covered last month. So, But anyways, they, this is where they finally mentioned that, those issues. So uh, that's it for the coverage for this month. 
Uh, hold still for some more advertisements, and uh, I'll be right back with you. After these messages, we'll be right back. Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Okay. Joe, American G.I. Joe is there. Attention, Joes. This is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google+, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, A Real American Headcast. Dismissed. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, Real America Headcast, is a proud member of the Headcast family. The world he never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. Yeah, you heard that right. I'm starting a new podcast, G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. The Zero episode is out. The first episode's recorded. I've just got to finish doing some editing. It'll be out, uh, probably going to do it monthly, so it'll probably be out uh, the beginning of September here another week or two. So uh, watch for it, check it out, let me know what you think. But that's that, and this is this, so let's do this. Um, we're done with that. Uh, now move on to the character profile for this episode. This episode, we're talking about Kronos, who you may remember from last episode. Uh, his first appearance was in The Atom, number three, in 1962, created by Gardner Fox and Gil Kane. Kronos' alter ego, well, there's been several different characters. Uh, we're dealing with the, the main one, the original. His name was David Clinton. His team affiliations was the Anti-Justice League, the Secret Society of Supervillains, the Suicide Squad, which is why I'm talking about them, uh, the Injustice Gang, Injustice League, Crime Champions, and Time Foes. Notable aliases is the Time Thief. 
and his abilities is time travel and time manipulation. Hard work for me to say, but I said it, so there. Um, brief rundown, briefish rundown on Kronos. He's the arch enemy of the Atom, Ray Palmer. Again, as I've mentioned elsewhere, one of my two favorite characters. That's another story entirely, again. Uh, back to Kronos. Kronos uh, started out his career as a petty thief, David Clinton, who attributed his constant incarceration incarceration to his timing or lack thereof. To improve his timing, he studied the rhythm of timepieces, and by practice he learned to synchronize each of his actions with the beat of the prison clock. By the end of his sentence, he had developed an extraordinary sense of timing, which he resolved to use to further his criminal career. He then adopted the colorful costume and the alter ego of Kronos, the time thief. Clinton had acquired an unhealthy fascination with time, and he developed a series of gimmicks, weapons, and death traps based on timepieces clocks with blades' hands, flying sundials, and so forth. He also showed up back in oh, one of the issues of Legends I covered back here several months ago, fighting Blue Beetle. Uh, back to the recap of him. He liked to give time-related puns, such as, time is golden, when spraying golden gas at Green Lantern. Uh, he made his debut in Ivy Town, but was defeated by the Adam when he tried to steal an atomic clock because of an idea ironically given to him by Ray Palmer. He came close to deducing the Adam's secret identity when he realized the Adam attacked him soon after Ray saw him and succeeded in capturing the Adam and placing him inside a watch. The Adam escaped the watch while Cronus was breaking into a vault and used the trick to make him think he was wrong. However, he escaped from jail by adapting a guard's watch, making the tick so loud that they broke open his cell door. He next tried to steal the collection of historic Hungarian clocks, each which had a gem hidden inside. But again, he was defeated. The Adam since thwarted all of Cronus's plans. Each appearance or new crime prompted an evolution in Cronus's weaponry. His study of time led him to more intricate and revolutionary inventions. Lenses prevented people from seeing certain events, such as his getaway vehicle or other specific objects. Circuitry embedded in his costume that he controlled the local flow of time, for example, freezing people in time or altering his own perception of time. And an hourglass of concentrated time that could speed points up briefly and even make bricks next to a bank wall crumble in a few seconds. And he ultimately created a fully functional time machine before it and the dying were destroyed, of course. One story suggests that Cronus may have been receiving help from a future version of himself, but it is an unknown at what relative time frame that Cronus came from. An another story published in World's Finest Comics two, sorry, 321 from 1985, suggests that Cronus made the transition from a mere thief with a time gimmick to a full-fledged time traveler after becoming acquainted with the mysterious Dr. Fox, perhaps named after Gardner Fox, a criminal scientist who had never been apprehended and who was described by Cronus as the greatest mind since Einstein. Pre-crisis, Cronus was a member of the Crime Champions, a trio of Earth-1 villains who teamed up the trio of Earth-2 villains to commit robberies, then escape to other world using a vibration vibrarity try that again, a vibration device that the Riddler accidentally discovered. Cronus is able to escape Wonder Woman, Batman, and Green Lantern after stealing a million dollars from the Powers City Bank. When the Earth-2 crime champions impersonate the Earth-1 crime champions, wow, the Icicle impersonates Cronus with the help of the Wizards, Tibetan Magic, and fights Batman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern, making them touch rubber, animal, and glass as a part of a spell to trap the JLA. On Earth 2, Cronus tries to steal a rare clock from a lighthouse 
and uses his vibration powers to put Aquaman into a coma, but Superman is able to revive Aquaman and captures Cronus, crushing his, wa crush, crushing? Crushing his watch. The JLA and JSA are captured again and magically placed in cages in space, but the aid of the Green Lanterns escape and return to Earth. Cronus tries to help the Fiddler find an Earth-3 with his chronological knowledge, but is defeated by the Martian Manhunter and Black Canary. Wow. Uh, Cronus eventually stops stealing for his own gain and begins stealing to finance his time research. The Adam had always thwarted Cronus, but he decided to turn his back on humanity and retreated to a peaceful seclusion with a group of six-inch-tall aliens in the Amazonian jungle. Uh, for, for, for further information on that for that period of the Atom, listen to future episodes of Head Speaks. I'm going to cover the Atom and his series here in upcoming episodes. Uh, Cronus had more success without the Atom, but he brought himself to the attention of the Blue Beetle when he tried to blackmail one of the employees of Court in, uh, Incorporated. He also fought the Blue Beetle during Darkseid's anti-hero riots. And again, if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you would have heard that story back when I talked about it here in Legends, as I mentioned a little bit ago. Anywho, uh, that brings up pretty much the current date. Uh, as far as his, his future, I don't think he really shows up much more in the uh, Suicide Squad. So we're going to go and cover this real quick. During one struggle against the Beetle, Cronus was hurled a million, a hundred million years in the past, where he encountered a time-lost Captain Atom. He later met a time-traveling Superman, who Cronus manipulated into helping him get home. Upon his return to the present, Cronus was able to use his technology to manipulate the money markets to amass a fortune. However, Cronus's illegal endeavors were discovered, and he returned to prison. He was freed by the Calendar Man to work with the Titan, Time Foes, but was captured once again by the Teen Titans. Anyways, it goes on further from there, but that covers his period during the Suicide Squad. And that's what I'm really concerned with. So, again, this information was retrieved from Wikipedia. Uh, if you want further information, go ahead and check out Cronus's spot in Wikipedia. And it talks about the future Cronuses also, the Cronus 2 and Lady Cronus and so forth. Uh, check it out if you want further information. Or check out DC's comics for further information. On to his appearances in other media. Uh, he was in a two-part Just Sleek Unlimited uh, episode entitled The Once and Future Thing voiced by Peter McNichol. He was an episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold, entitled Sword of the Atom. Uh, he was in issue 22 of the TV series-based Super Friends comic. He also showed up in the Just League Adventures, which was adapted from the Just League cartoon, in an issue entitled Wolves Clothing and the Moment. And then in the JLA Avengers crossover, Cronus was among the enthralled villains defending Cronus's base in issue 4. He is defeated by the Wasp. Uh, so that's it for Cronus for this episode. I'm going to play one more commercial spot, and then we'll move on to Suicide Notes. Do you want to hear the origin of Superman or Batman? Of course not. You're listening to a geek culture podcast. You know the origins of Superman and Batman. You've always known them. Your unborn grandchildren know the origins of Superman and Batman. But what about Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, or the Phantom Stranger? What about Firestorm, Sandman, or the Golden Age Fury? Those are just a few of the stories covered in the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. 
Each episode of the Secret Origins podcast features me, Ryan Daly, and an all-star collection of guest hosts revealing or revisiting the legends of the DC superheroes and villains. And if you're already sick of hearing my voice on this promo, the good news is at least 50% of the talking on the Secret Origins podcast is done by a terrific guest from the podcast and blogging community. So check out the Secret Origins podcast, available on iTunes and at secretoriginspodcast.wordpress.com. And now we move on to our final segment for the day. Uh, a segment I like to call, I like to call because I stole it from Suicide Squad Comics, Suicide Notes. Um, first off, let me give a shout out and a special thanks to Professor Alan Mill. Yeah, try that again. Sorry about that, Professor. A special thanks and shout-out to Professor Alan Middleton of the Shortbox Showcase. That was the first form I played today. And also to Ruth Sutherland of Trekker Talk. That was another podcast I played today. Um, both of them played our promo during their podcast, this last episodes, on both Showcase... I'll try that again. On Shortbox Showcase and Trekker Talk... Uh, both of them played the Task Force X promo. Uh, I want to thank you guys for that. And again, I played yours on this one. I'm going to play it also on a couple of other podcasts. Uh, but thanks, guys. And also, let's go ahead and move on to Facebook's com- likes and comments. These are people that's either commented on uh, links I've posted or have just liked the page. We have uh, Ruth Sutherland, who I mentioned just a moment ago. Alan Middleton, which I also mentioned a moment ago. Uh, the beautiful Michelle Moss, the incredible, edible, okay, not edible, but anyway, the irredeemable Shag Matthews, and the great and mighty John Ostender. Uh, it was really, it made me giggle to see John Ostender, like, I, I'd posted a, uh, a re, what is it, uh, reposted about his uh, Kickstarter campaign he had going on, and he liked that, so it just that made me smile a bit. John Ostrander at least made a note. I, I showed up briefly on his radar. Made me happy. Uh, but anyways, enough gushing about uh, John Ostrander. Uh That's it for uh, Facebook's likes and comments. I haven't received any emails from anybody. Again, if you want to hear yourself heard, write in. Send me an MP3. I'll play it on the air. Uh, go to the Facebook page, Google+. Let us know. Also, I, I made a slight change. You can now get to us on the web. You can either you can still go to headspeaks.com and click on Headcast and then find Task Force X from there. Or to go to our page directly, you can go to taskforcex.headspeaks.com and that will take you directly to the uh, blog for our show. Again, that's taskforcex.headspeaks.com. Um, and that's it for this episode. A few things I want to do, do want to mention, a few places I'm showing up. Again, you can go, I just mentioned our home. You can email us at taskforcex at headspeaks.com. Feel free to send us an email. Go to our Facebook, Google+, both of them you can find by looking for Task Force X. Uh, also, I showed up in the last episode of Comic Book Fight Club. A buddy of mine, Gene Hendricks, and his friend Jeff, every month team up to usually comic book or, you know, geeky things and uh, have them fight it out and people come on and tell them, you know, who would win. This last episode, well, it was a twofer for me. 
they had G.I. Joe versus Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And also, the reason, main reason I was on was they had the A-Team versus Task Force X. Who won? Go listen to their podcast and find out. It's a great podcast. Anyways, also, in coming up in about, I'm going to say about two weeks, on Secret Origins, you just heard the, po- you just heard the promo for them, uh, the Secret Origins podcast, episode 14, they're going to do, Ryan is going to cover the Task Force X Secret Origins. Uh, you've heard me talk about that back in one of my first couple episodes. Ryan had me on a show, and we talked about that com- comic on a Secret Origins podcast. And again, it's episode 14. It's coming up here in about two weeks, I'm guessing. Uh, and then also, finally, speaking of Ryan Daly, and let's throw Kyle Benning in there, I've teamed up with the two gentlemen to start a new podcast called G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Yeah, you just heard another promo for them, too. Lame promos all over this place. Anyways, uh, the first episode, well, actually, I'm sorry, it's the zero episode of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast is out. That's just me giving background, talking about G.I. Joe in general. Uh, but then Kyle and Ryan will show up on episode one where we uh, talk about the G.I. Joe comic book. Simple as that. The one for Marvel and currently being published by IDW. Uh, we'll review each issue, give our thoughts, and then we'll have some special segments every once in a while talking about either characters we like, uh, TV episodes we like, uh, different things. We'll review, probably review the G.I. Joe movies at some point. Uh, but check it out. It's available monthly by looking for G.I. Joe or Little American Headcast. Uh, you can get that blog, that web space, also by going to G.I. Joe.headspeaks.com. Or again, you can go to headspeaks.com, click on Headcast, but it's easier just to go directly to the page. G.I. Joe.headspeaks.com. It's a new monthly podcast. I'm sorry, new monthly headcast. Uh, check it out. Again, let me know what you think. But I guess that's going to do it for this episode. So, uh, yeah, feel free to write in. Let me know what you guys think. I'm here. I'm willing to listen to you. Uh, until next time. Over and out, squad mates. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just out crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at HeadSpeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S. Com. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, 
And also on Google Plus, you can look for Task Force X under People and Pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Yes,